Welcome back to the Pure Football Podcast with me, Guillem Balaguer. That presentation is for those that have already been here before. For the rest, let me do it again. Welcome to the Pure Football Podcast with me, Guillem Balaguer. This is a place, as you are here for the first time, where we chat football with big names from the football industry, players, managers, broadcasters, writers, and they give us a glimpse into what their world is like and what the football world is like and because they are not the usual conversations we tend to get more from them or at least things we didn't know about them and in that way also get to know the football industry a little bit deeper. Today is one of those occasions and it will be actually a difficult task to introduce our guest briefly because she's worked in many countries and with various broadcasting giants, from German ZDF to American CBS, Sky Sports in England too. Kate Abdo has traveled the world, making herself an important name in the sports journalism world. Also, I can tell you, she's a lovely person that looks after the people that work with her, something less common in this industry that you would think. I met her for the first time when we worked in Sky Sports. She did um, the Spanish football show, Revista de la Liga, and the weekend games too, uh, for a year. And that allowed me to yeah, know her, but know how she works, and I really enjoyed it. I'm so happy that I'm crossing paths with her again. She's now hosting the CBS uh, Champions League coverage, and I'm part of that. So that gives us the opportunity to um, to do things together, which which I'm very happy about. In our podcast, uh, Kate speaks about her start into presenting, the role of woman in sports media, and why living abroad can change a lot in your vision of the world. That's amongst many other subjects. I've reconnected with Kate Abdo via video conference. She was in Los Angeles, I was in Barcelona, so it was really our only option. We had this call for UCFB, the university that shapes the future of sports. We had future coaches, managers, journalists and broadcasters listening about Kate's journey, which for sure was very insightful for them. Let's go to the chat, shall we? Firstly, Kate told us about her beginning in Sky Sports Germany. I was working on the sports desk because it was what I enjoyed and I'd asked to be put there because initially I was put on the financial desk, which was not my comfort zone whatsoever. Um, and so I was enjoying myself talking about Bundesliga and doing all this different stuff, working with all the kind of their features and their interviews and making sure everything was translated and ready for the other side, whether that was the Spanish or the German or the English. Um, and then one day, one of their sports anchors had a big argument stormed out they needed somebody to jump in really quickly and they asked me if I would do a casting because I already knew how to use the system. They were confident that I could write scripts, which was something you had to do yourself. And so they asked me to do a tryout. And actually, initially, I said no. Uh, and they did a round of tryouts because they just it wasn't an area I had an, any ambition in. They did a round of tryouts. They didn't find anybody they liked. And they came back to me and said, listen, just do us a favor, do a casting. We think it could work. And so I, I did the casting. They said, we promise we'll leave you alone. If it's no good, you'll never hear about it. Um, I've since seen it and it was terrible. I don't know what they saw in me, but um, they came back to me after that and said, listen, we'll, we'll give you the job. We'll give you a day's training. We'll put you on television. It was like a 24 hour news network. So you did kind of sports updates within the news bulletin every hour. Um, and it was a lot more money than I was getting paid as an intern translating. So I was like, okay, let's try it. 
Um, but it wasn't because I had ambition in that direction. It just kind of fell into place for me, I think. There's so much already in there about your story, which can be beneficial to listen to. Starting with, what were you doing in Germany? You're from Manchester. How, how did you make the jump? Um, so I, I grew up in Manchester. Once I'd finished high school in Manchester, I then moved to, I just, I really wanted to do languages at, at university. And actually I had a place at Birmingham University to do French and Italian, but I'd always wanted to learn Spanish. Hadn't been able to learn it at school. It wasn't an option. So I said, I'm just going to go to Spain for a year. I'm going to put college on hold for a year, do a year out, come back and then pick up my, my degree. Um, and I went to Spain and I moved in with a family so that I would learn Spanish quickly. And I got a job over there. And uh, I also did a class like kind of every day, five days a week um, doing classes in Spanish. And I just realized really quickly that, oh, this this lifestyle is really different to where I grew up. I really like it. And I decided that I, I wasn't going to be ready to move back in a year. So I did a um, I did my selectividad. I did my high school diploma, essentially, to be able to get into to college, to university. Uh, did that kind of fast tracked within a year, got that and then started university over there, did my degree over there. The um, German professor had a connection at this German network and said, do you know what you want to do? He was giving kind of, you know, talks with all of us about where do you want to go in life? And I said, I've got no idea. I like translating. That's all I know. And he said, well, how about we we try this? You, you know, maybe it's interesting to you. It could be fun. I can get you in, et cetera. So um, he helped me get that internship and, and it went from there. You, you must see uh, in the clips that CBS puts out how um, Kate, whatever language comes her direction for the post-match interviews, uh, they, get it, they get translated like, like this and, uh, and it's logical that everybody's impressed, uh, impressed by it. But uh, let's go back to, um, to that moment where uh, I think we all find in our careers where it's not make or break, but it's, it takes you that way or that way. And mm. you originally said no. So given the possibility of, uh, of being in front of camera, you said no. Why? It just didn't appeal to me. It wasn't something I thought I'd be good at. It, I didn't think that that was something I would have a gifting at. I didn't, I think I didn't really feel entitled. I always saw that as a position of kind of privilege and thought, well, why would I get to do that? That's not who I am. Um, so I just, I didn't have the ambition, but I think that as soon as I was given that opportunity, I realized that there's something very special about television. It gives you a, a buzz and a sense of enjoyment that is hard to replicate anywhere else. And I think, um, you know, one of the things even now, which is like, God, almost 20 years on, unfortunately, um, I, I'm just reminded on the regular how how privileged I am to be in this job, to be able to sit there and talk about something that I care about, that I enjoy, that I would like to do in my spare time, and I get paid for that. Um, and so I think once you're in it, you suddenly realize, wow, I really, I really want to make this work now. I've got this opportunity. Let me see what I can make happen. So staying on that moment, would it be fair to say that there was a, a touch of, 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 of fear as well, that uh, at this point or the first time you weren't able to beat? Yeah, definitely. I think it's nerve wracking doing live television. And I had been at the station for a few months. I was watching people who were, you know, very seasoned broadcasters, I thought really good at what they do. And at the beginning of any journey, you're never very good at what you're trying to do. You have a long way to go, right? And if you are at all self-aware, you'll realize that you're nowhere near as good as the other people around you. You might think that you have the ability within you to get there, but it, it's always going to be a process. So I think 
definitely I was, I was scared of trying essentially, because I thought, well, what if people see that I'm not as good as them? What if I make a mistake? What if I'm shown up and it happens live on television? You know, um, there's, there's definitely a certain amount of fear, but I think oftentimes, even in my case, I didn't really know what my gifting was and I didn't really know what I was destined to do if, if that's how you want to look at it but I think there can often be something within you that drives you without you really being able to understand it you kind of realize that th this is within me and I, I like this for some reason it's something that God has put within me that I want to pursue it, it, it coincides with a with a desire or something that you've got inside that really like kind of clicks and switches on doesn't it at some point it's like mm -hmm. ah this is it if you don't have a clear idea of where you're going it, it appears to you like that sometimes but um, when you've, you're now a master at what you do. I mean, it feels like you're not reading when you're reading and you do it sometimes, but a lot of the time is that leap and uh, the, the fluidity of how it all comes, it's wonderful to see. And you must know that we all comment on it because to reach that level, you need a long time to, to get there. Uh, you have to have the talent and you have to have a lot of work, which you're gonna, we're gonna get to. But have you looked back to that first um uh, trial that you did have you looked back at it in recent times or you remember it and what was wrong at that point you felt i somebody sent me a dvd maybe like a year ago or something and i watched it and i just cringed which i think we all do when we look back on the stuff we did however many years ago even the stuff that at the time you thought was great now you look back on it and you're like oh um i think what was wrong with it for me was that it wasn't me I, I looked at all those people on camera and I thought, okay, so news, this is how they dress. I wore um, a jacket with like very severe shoulder pads. I looked about 20 years older than I was. I was trying to portray this kind of broadcaster and I spoke in a broadcasty way, um, which I, I just, I think I've since realized that if I'm gonna do something on television, I just, I want to be me. And if I'm watching something, it's something I, I really respond to as a viewer is when I see somebody who's not just performing, it's not just reading out loud in a kind of a very, uh, what's the right, kind of just that kind of broadcast telling you a story, but it's not telling you a story. It's just, it's just rattling off facts at you. And that's something that I've always really admired about you. And I think anybody who's worked at CBS or Sky or any of those places does the same and talks about you because there's a difference between you and a lot of other reporters in that when you when you tell me something, I feel like you're just telling me a story and we're just communicating and it feels totally natural to me. It's not this kind of pre-planned delivered speech. And I think that often in journalism, you know, a lot of us are good writers and we care about words and we care about how things are delivered. Um, and we can care too much about that stuff because it takes away everything that's natural from our communication. So, you know, oftentimes when I go through a script that maybe if someone else has written a script for me, I understand why they do certain things. They'll make sure the same word isn't repeated twice. And instead of saying footballer, they'll say the, I don't know, uh, Peruvian native. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, when we talk, we don't use these all these big flowery adjectives to, to avoid using the same word. We, we're just normal people. And so I think when I look back at that first thing, I think, wow, that was so unnatural. It was so what I thought broadcasting was supposed to be and so not what felt natural to me. And I think the more comfortable you get in the role, the more you realize I can make this my own. Well, what was interesting, of course, is that um, 
somebody saw that there was something there uh, that then proved, mm. and he was proven to be right, and and they insisted on it. What I'm trying to get at is that that first impression, it's important, it's not crucial, and it's not, it doesn't determine your career. So you can get it wrong, or you can get it almost right. And that reminded me when you were talking about that. You know what I was wearing the first time I did a live link to to CBS on that Barcelona Napoli game. Uh, when, I don't when, remember when the coverage started. I, it was a suit and a tie, and because I was told that that's what they wanted, and right. uh, it all it came out wrong as well because I I moved away and somebody shouted at my ear, "Do not move! Do not move!" I'm thinking <laughs> they're never going to call me again, <laughs> but uh, but they did. So uh, and then I thought, you know what? If I'm going to get it wrong and I'm going to have my last show at my uh, live link at uh, CBS, I'll do it wearing my own clothes, which I've done right. since. So. Um, uh, Important turning point. Uh, if 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 whenever you get given the first opportunity, it's not about the first time you do you do something, but then of course you have to hone your skills and you have to improve and you have to uh, make sure that you do it in the way to please your bosses because it may not be the same to work for CBS than it is to work for a Sky. You have to to understand what is being required along the way in those first steps. Did you have anybody? helping you, giving you enough feedback, or was it like a trial and error from yourself? I did. I had uh, I had a producer who, who really helped me. I think oftentimes in television, you're put in a position where you don't get much feedback. We kind of live in a culture and a society where you'll get told if you do something wrong, but not really encouraged when you do the right thing. Um, and actually that encouragement when you do the right thing can be really important because it can help you focus in on, okay, well, this works. Let me let me do more of that. And I had one person who just really took it upon themselves. It, it wasn't really their role. Um, they weren't the most senior producer. They weren't producing me directly, but they took it upon themselves. And I'll always be grateful for that just to support me. And really more than anything, I think, give me confidence. Let me feel like, hey, it's not the biggest deal in the world. If you misspeak, if you stumble, if you forget a name, whatever, who cares? Let's laugh about it. Let's be normal and let's move on. And they really helped me just find a comfort zone. I think I think that can be really important to have somebody who'll, who'll encourage you, who'll be real with you. I don't think you should just have sycophants around you. You know, it's important to have somebody who'll give you the, the negative feedback when you need it, but also balance that with encouragement because we all need that too. And I guess uh, you do like me uh, try to look to those that help and uh, and make sure that they somehow get rewarded by us, even by by a word or by mentioning in in, in interviews or in chats like this, uh, because they are the unsung heroes of of television. Those that uh, that give you the first opportunity or allow you to have the first the first mistake. So is there anybody in particular you want to mention? Perhaps the producer you just said uh, by name and, and just tell us a little bit how you work with him. Okay. Yeah, his his name was Dario Lucic. He was Canadian. He had had a, had a long career in sports and was working in Germany, um, same as I was. And I, I, it, I mean, really, that's just what he was to me. He became a friend essentially because of the support that he showed me. Um, I think TV is a really cutthroat business, right? So oftentimes, unfortunately, we're all looking at somebody get an opportunity and almost hoping that they'll fail because everybody's all, always scared about their own position, right? Because we often see other people coming up who are talented and who are good. And well, what does that mean for my role? Could that potentially take away from the opportunity I have? That's not how I think in life. I think what's meant for you will always come your way. Um, and other people shining is never going to 
detract from that. Um, but I, I, I think it was a jealous atmosphere in some ways. And I think he just really was above that and just thought, hey, here's a young girl who I think, I think maybe she has something. I'm going to encourage her and help mold her. And, and I'll always be grateful for that from him. I'm not sure if that kind of attitude towards the profession is the usual one, as in, you know, helping others that are starting or, but I've seen you doing it uh, with Jenny Chu, for instance, at, uh, at CVS, uh, somebody that uh, in a way you and I have been kind of mentoring when she was here in Spain, uh, I took on that role and I was happy to do so. And I know that you've encouraged her to, uh, to actually uh, just be herself. Uh, and can I ask, I mean, is that the usual thing? Is that what you found in, in your career that, that, uh, that opening arms from others? Um, I think speaking as a woman, I think it's not something that women are necessarily good at. And I think that's oftentimes because women in sports particularly feel like, well, there's not many of us, so there can't be room for many of us. And, you know, just on a very human level, if a young girl comes along who's very attractive, which Jenny is, you can often feel like, well, I wonder if she'll be the next big thing. And I wonder if they'll like her more than they like me, because she might appeal to an audience in a different way. You know, I think there's a lot of insecurity there for women in sports. Um, and so, no, I don't, I don't think we always support each other. And I don't think we spend enough time raising up other women, but I think it's so important because if another woman can shine on that platform, it just gives more and more validation to women being in, in positions in sports, women being accepted in those positions, and then creating also a pathway for other young girls who are coming up to say, well, there's, there's a, there's a way for me to do this. There's somebody I can emulate. And I think that's so important. In fact, um, this uh, reminds me of the speech, can I say, that, uh, that Kate did in CBS regarding the role of women in sports and especially in sports television. Can you tell us the, the gist of it and why you did it, uh, what you said there and uh, why it was important to say? Yeah, it was interesting this because it was actually Pete, who's a, a really gifted producer, very creative and just really willing to think outside of the box. He called me that morning just before I was on my way into the studios and said, hey, it's the, the first female referee in the game in, in Champions League on this kind of stage um, overseeing a game tonight. Do you want to talk about it? Uh, no, he's just said that to me. And I said, yeah, I know. I'm aware. I've, you know, I, I'd gotten the pack from UEFA and everything. And I'd read about the story. And he said, well, do you want to say something? Do you want to talk about it? And that struck me as really weird because no one's ever really said that to me before. <laughs> hey, is this, is this something you'd like to talk about? Is this something you care about? And I kind of thought, well, how? In, in what format? What would I, what would I do? And he said, um, just write something that you think you'd like to say, you know, put your thoughts together on whatever you want to deliver, send it through to us and, and we'll find somewhere in the show where we just create space for you to talk about it, which was entirely unheard of in 15 years in television. No one had ever said that to me. Um, and it was really interesting to me that it was a man who saw the importance of it and was willing to give space to that and say, hey, I think this is something we should hear women talking about. I think this actually matters. And it was kind of what prompted me to go, oh, it really does matter to me, actually. I think it's important because I hadn't I hadn't really thought it through in that way. Um, so I wrote something down, however I felt about it, sent it through to them. He said, cool, we'll, we'll figure out where it fits in the show. And they gave me space to deliver it and I delivered it. And it really resonated. I think it's the first thing I've ever done that went viral, that got you know over a million views and had lots of kind of well-known people in the industry responding to me and I was, I was so taken aback by that because I, I guess it's the first time I've, I felt I had ever really put myself out there and shared something that was a, a personal opinion about 
something that yes was related to the sport that we were covering but really was entirely unrelated to that it was just about personal experience as a woman in this industry and so it it was special to me that he he allowed that for me and since then that then sparked something within me where i thought hey there are other things i want to talk about i want to i want to find space to do this or that and sometimes it just needs for somebody to open the door for you to realize oh i just, i do have a voice that i'd like to share probably uh, it's worthwhile saying that that happens in, um, in in united states television and not so much in european television perhaps yeah. that's right to say you're not a, you're not allowed to have so much of an opinion or even so much of a personality on European yeah. television, I feel anyway, that that's my mm -hmm. experience. Um, but also it was a, the director, there was also a woman that day, mm -hmm. a black woman at that as well. So, and you, you made reference too, because that is very uncommon too. Yeah, that was, um, I, I didn't know actually at the time when he said to me, um, when he, when I sent something through, he said, oh, just so you know, Helen's directing today. Who I think we'd had directors maybe one time or something, and she was a black female. And like you say, that you know, it, I don't know that it's, I don't think that it's that men are necessarily more qualified for those positions. It's just so much more accepted and so much more typical. The, the same in so many different industries. It's not just sports, it's politics, it's, it's so many different areas of life. But one thing I always know as a woman is that for another woman to have got to that position, she's really had to break through. She's really had to prove herself in ways that men don't necessarily have to prove themselves. I remember when I got my job at CNN and I was very young and very inexperienced and they took a chance on me. I went from that German television station, I'd been doing news there about a year and CNN offered me this position and I, I, I honestly thought I was a little out of my depth for it. Um, I'm sure that the other people I had interviewed for it in America, but the position was in London. So the Ameri I'd gone through the interview process over there and then they sent me to London and said, you'll start the job there. So then I arrived in London already having the job and I could tell that everybody around me was relatively skeptical of why I had been given the job and whether I really was the right fit and did I have the credentials. And they took me out for kind of a welcome lunch, but it felt like a welcome grilling where I was just subjected to question after question. And I, and I kind of sat there and I thought, I wonder if a man would go through this. I wonder if they would question whether he knows football. You know, it, to me, if a man came into that environment, you're working as, a, as a, a sports host, you're going to do a sports show on a daily basis. I think they just assume that you understand the game of football. Whereas I really had to go through this process of kind of proving, no, it's, it's okay. I do get it. I'm not just here because somebody liked me or I looked a certain way. I actually have something to bring to the table. Um, and I think oftentimes as a woman, you have to go through that first of all to get to the place where you are accepted. From what I'm hearing, Kate, and, and, and I know you a little bit, um, you from the beginning have been going against the tide uh, because your first feeling is, I'm not good enough for this. Mm -hmm. So then you have to prove to yourself and then to the rest that, that you are when you, when you certainly are. But you have that feeling, almost like the, the feeling of the fear of being found out that, uh, that carries many of us. Um, yeah. But as well as going against the tide, you go against the wind because that's how society is working at the moment and you had to beat a lot of obstacles that, that you're describing. Will that be, will that be fair that, uh, that, has been, that has been a little bit of a journey? Yeah, definitely for me, I think See, I always thought a lot of people were driven by self-belief. 
Um, so it's interesting to me that you say a lot of us are driven by this fear of being found out because that's how I feel. And I think if you're somebody who, maybe somebody who is a high achiever, I think a lot of those people that I've met in life, they often, they're always looking to prove more. They're always looking what more they can do to kind of validate where they're at or where they need want to get to. And maybe that's something that, you know, connects people in, in those positions. I definitely felt like, because I look at other people and I, I watch other broadcasters or reporters or different people in different roles. And I'm so able to see the gifting in them and sometimes so unable to see the gifting in myself. And I think that's something that a lot of us can can do, right? Is you can you can really quickly discount yourself. And it's something I've really had to to learn is what's your language with yourself? How do you talk to yourself? What What kind of confidence do you give yourself? Because in any of these positions, especially live television, you you have to walk out there as if as if you have the confidence to be there as if you feel like you belong and and some of it's a performance not necessarily is that always what's inside but um i think the more you do that the more you realize that you can achieve and then the more that becomes natural but it starts with how are you talking to yourself and what are you telling yourself about whether you're whether you're entitled to be there as a consequence of that fear that we both have we are so overprepared <laughs> we know so much that never comes out and of course we grill ourselves when we make a mistake is that right i mean those those things mistake that nobody knows that it's ever happened people would just not know ever that you weren't meant to say that but instead you said this you should have said that but nobody will know still you grill yourself so uh in terms of, of a preparation uh, it sounds it sounds familiar does it I totally relate to that. In terms of being overprepared, I'm the worst. I'm the one that will have like a stack of notes. And I, I say to myself after every show, this isn't effective because you have so much that you can't even get through it and get to it. You need something, pare it down, keep it to a minimum, have something that you can really just look at. And it's obvious to you, no, I have, you know, a stack of notes because in the process of preparing, it makes me feel better about it. And in terms of that, being in your head essentially right about what went wrong what did you say when did you misspeak that's another skill i've really had to learn in television and something that i was really talking to jenny about because i think jenny's a high achiever she's a perfectionist and because she's so smart and wants to get it right all the time she can dwell on those moments where it went wrong but one thing you learn about television is just how quickly a moment goes by and if you if you make it bigger than it was if you focus on it you'll be so focused on that that you're not really focused on what you're saying now and where you're going. You'll start to trip up there and it becomes this terrible cycle and you spiral. Whereas if you can just go, whatever happened, move on and keep focused and keep in the moment of what you're doing now, that's been a really important lesson to me is just let it go. I did say to Jenny when we were in Barcelona, uh, Jenny Chu is a colleague of ours at uh, CBS that uh, she, and she's taken it, embraced it. And, and of course, is completely focused in, in, in getting there. Uh, and she came to Barcelona, came to Spain to do uh, those live links that I was doing here. We did it together. And one thing I said to her is, whatever you say, a second later, people have forgotten. Just a <laughs> second later, it's all gone from their heads. So it does not matter. <laughs> they have things to worry about. They have the tea to prepare and the dinner to prepare. And they have people just passing by in front of the television. Don't care, but it, it's. I understand that uh, she has to go through the process in which it matters a lot. Then a little bit less, and then eventually it doesn't matter as long as she does her job. Um, but preparation and over preparation. You, did mm -hmm. you do that as well when you had to do interviews, did, or, or did you prefer to just be natural and, and whatever came, you know, was to be celebrated? 
I'm, I'm really lucky in that I don't feel like I've, I don't think I feel like I've gone through many interview processes. TV tends to be different, right? Once you establish yourself in a certain area, you are less interviewed and more just invited for a conversation for them to see if they like you in person in the way that they like you on camera. Um, I think obviously Deutsche Welle was something that just the DWTV, the German television station that just kind of evolved and happened overnight. There was no real interview process for that because I was taken on to be an intern translating. They knew my credentials translating with my degree, got that job, and then that transitioned super quickly. And that was really just off the back of having, I think having proven myself in in the role that I was given translating, taking initiative always um, in that role, having shown that I was passionate about being in that sports department and how can I give more? How can I spend more time here? How can I support the network and what we want to do? Um, so I've proven myself in in the sense of really caring about our product. When I went to CNN, I'd, I would say it's probably the last time I really had to interview in that sense. Um, and yes, I was overprepared because that was a CNN world sports show. I was not a world sports person. I'm not very big on cricket, on rugby, on um, a bunch of baseball, anything, you know, NFL, any of these sports that they spoke about that. I was really quite specific with what I knew about. Um, and so I, I did definitely try and try and over prepare probably on that. I think one of the other things I've learned is that it's sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know, I don't know, but I can learn, um, rather than to try and fake it. Cause I think oftentimes in life, when you try and fake it is when you will get found out. Um, and one of my biggest opportunities was when I was at Sky Sports and they offered me the role um, hosting pay-per-view fights, which boxing was a sport I'd honestly never really been interested in. I mean, I'd followed the kind of the biggest events, but I wasn't someone who tuned in week in, week out. And they really wanted, they wanted to put a woman at the front of it because they'd never had a woman hosting it. And they wanted somebody who had big event experience, which I had from doing award shows and things like that in, in football. So they had said, we think you could cope with being in the big crowd. You know, this is sellout stadiums at Wembley, et cetera. Do you think you can do it? And I was honest and I said, listen, I, I don't know boxing. I'm going to have to learn this. I'm going to have to learn context and history and I'm going to have to learn the sport itself. But give me some time and I can get there. And they said, okay, well, we'll give you six weeks. Your first fight would be an Anthony Joshua pay-per-view and you got six weeks to get ready. And by the time we came on air, I felt comfortable with boxing. Obviously, there's a lot that you can't learn in that time. But I think if you stick to what you know and you don't try and reel off a bunch of stats and history and all this stuff that doesn't feel authentic to you, only ever deliver what feels authentic to you. And that's been kind of something I've learned throughout. A couple of things you said there. One is um, uh, you, you wouldn't say, I'm not gonna do this because I'm not good at it. That's it, end of. But you will prepare yourself to actually try it at least. Let others decide that. And, uh, and the other, very important when you're starting, to repeat every day, to, to ask this question to everybody you can throw it to. What can I do? What can I do? Uh, is there anything I can do? How can I help? Because uh, now that I am employing people, uh, and now that you're working with people that help you as well, you must, you must find that attitude, that positive attitude, so necessary, because I think you, like me, feed from that kind of energy. Be surrounded by people that are dark and vampires of of the light that uh, that just takes stuff from you take energy from you poof it's difficult to work with but if you're surrounded by by people that want to help you it's such a different atmosphere necessary 
to get the best of you, no? Yeah, I think that life is what you make of it, basically, right? And I think that oftentimes one of the mistakes that we can make as young people when we're starting out is to think that opportunity is supposed to come to me. Opportunity is never just supposed to come to you. I feel like you you have to work for that. I, I think that there are blessings in life when you can get lucky and you can be in the right time at the right place, but really that's often because you've put yourself there, because you've worked to be in a place where that opportunity can come. And I think it's, especially now in society, we have that kind of idea of everything's supposed to be instant gratification and that's just not the way it works. You have to hustle. Hustle is so important. And if you keep on hustling, eventually that break will come. But it's it's just that attitude of, well, I'm going to keep on working, whether it's going my way right now or not, whether I see instant results, at some point, the right break will come. What advice would you give to someone who aspires to be a broadcaster at a big player like Sky, CBS? What's the best way to get feedback on your skills and stand out from other people pursuing the same jobs? Um, I think that for me, it's often a, a willingness to do the dirty work. I understand that that comes across maybe as a little hypocritical for me because I went very quickly into broadcasting and into the in front of camera side of things. But one thing I've often realized is the, the bit that I'm lacking is the understanding of everything that happens around what I'm doing. And I think that if you can prove yourself in those other positions, one thing, one area I had proven myself in was writing. I knew I could write good scripts and I knew I could write them quickly. Um, and I knew I could make them sound good for television because that was a skill I had worked on. And that was one of the reasons that they felt like, oh, well, you can do this job. You, you can belong in front of camera because we know you can do this. And I think if you can prove, especially nowadays, like Guillaume, you must be able to speak to this. You have to, you know, set up your camera. Probably there must be times when you have to do multiple jobs that back in the day of television, you would have had somebody on the ground with you, but now you're expected to do all of that. And I think that if you can show that you have editing skills, all of this different stuff, that's only ever going to put you in a better place. Absolutely. You talked about hustling and waiting for the break to come, focusing on a studio environment. After failing to get a runner's job at a big studio, how would you advise dealing with a setback and how to gain network opportunities with people at major studios? I guess my, my thing would be to say, why does it have to be a major network? Whilst I understand that for everybody in television, that's always the ultimate goal, right? We want to be in as big a kind of establishment and as big a platform as we can be. Um, I, I think that there is so much to learn in a smaller environment. Where I started was a, a, a smaller place and it was a great learning experience for me because I was in an environment where I could take on more responsibility and I could be more involved in things. Um, so talking about when I was an intern translating, because it was a smaller environment, they needed more people. They needed people who would make things happen. They didn't have the resources of a major network that employed hundreds of thousands of people for every job. So if you were willing to work hard and hustle in that smaller environment, that's where your opportunities came from. I think that whilst I understand like it being super exciting to be involved in Sky Sports and Soccer Saturday or any of those kind of big emblematic shows, I think that's something that you can always work towards, but there's no harm in starting somewhere where you really get to prove yourself. You really get to learn the trade and learn how you can be your best in that environment. Um, so that then when you do get the opportunity to transfer to a bigger place, 
you can really, really impact that. So I helped um, my stepdaughter get a job at Fox, an internship. I don't think she would mind me telling this story. About three, four years ago, it was the 2018, so three years ago, 2018 um, World Cup. And we were doing a show from Los Angeles at Fox. And I helped her get that job. And I felt like she really struggled to make an impact. She felt somewhat out of her depth or comfort zone. It was her first time in a big environment like that, first time in television studios. And she didn't really know how to be effective and how to help and how to stand out. Spin forward now to 2021. I also helped her get an, uh, a job as a runner um, at, at CBS on the show that I'm doing out of New York over there. And she's a different person in that. They love her to pieces because she is super proactive. Just a, She learned from the experience of not knowing what to do in a place to then spin forward, get, get the opportunity to make a new fresh start and really make an impact and be their best performing person on set um, and the hardest working person on set. And oftentimes you need to go through a disappointment or a, a negative experience to realize, okay, here's what I need to do better. And I, I think that smaller places can be a great learning ground. There's no, there's no negative to that. The smaller uh, media outlets, bigger the role. The bigger the outlet, the smaller the role, really. We, right. we become a little bit of clock in, in, the, in the big machine, so it seems to me. You must sing well. Um, there's a reason why I'm saying this, because your accents are brilliant. And that means that you've got a very good ear. If you got a very good ear, you must be able to sing. So did I get that right? Because no, I haven't heard you sing yet. Cool. I'm the worst at singing. Oh, really? Okay. That logic doesn't apply then. <laughs> you know what the problem is with accents is that my accent now, people always make fun of me because they think if I'm around British people, it becomes more British. And if I'm around American people, it becomes more American. And I think that's in part when you have that ear for languages and you adapt to what you're, what you're that's a skill for me, right? That, that's, that's been a gifting but it's something that people crush me for on social media because they think I'm trying to be pretentious or I'm trying to be American, which I'm not. Just sometimes it happens. I've got an idea. <laughs> because what happens to me when I'm with you off camera is that you just say, how are you? And you honestly, you must be one of the few people in the world, I can think of one more, that I go like, blah, 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 and I tell you everything. <laughs> I tell you everything. I've got, I don't know how this works. So uh, at the end of I'm thinking, oh my God, I just filled Kate's head with a lot of stuff that she didn't need <laughs> to have in her head. But at the same time, um, there is something, there is something that allows people to be relaxed with you. So something to do with that, something to uh, getting people to open up about their experiences or their lives or their thinking or that kind of thing. Actually, I'm sure I'll, I'll listen to it. Um, well, I think you and I think in similar ways on that kind of thing, because I really enjoy I think that sports is great and the emotion of sports and the drama and all of that. But what I love about sports particularly is just the personality, what drives somebody to achieve, what drives somebody to go to these levels and make these sacrifices and the human story, which I think we so often don't get to tell. It's something that you've done in, you know, in your books is really focus on what's the human story behind this legendary figure. And I, I really love that. So yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. The last thing I want to touch with you is something we passed very quickly because I wanted to leave it at the end, which is languages. Convince everyone <laughs> that they have to actually leave everything they know, get out of the comfort zone, learn languages. And if they can, leave abroad because that opens up your mind. Uh, these are two examples. You, you are certainly examples of it. But help me convince them. What else can we tell them? What's your experience of that? I mean, life experience wise, 
there's no experience like that for me. There's nothing that compares. I, I grew up in a Christian household, quite a sheltered household in the UK. And um, I, I didn't have a huge bunch of life experience before I left home. And then I left home, I went to Spain. From Spain, I went to Germany, from Germany to France, back to the UK briefly, and then to the US. And I just think the, your ability to relate to people, your ability to adapt to situations, your ability to understand people and situations is, is so different if you have different life experience. If your world is a very small world in that pocket of where you grew up and the environment that you've always known, whilst I'm not doing that down, I think there's value in that too. Um, I just think that there is something really special about opening up and understanding different cultures, different religions, different types of eating. I'd never eaten fresh fish. This sounds weird, but I had never eaten fresh fish before I left Manchester. And then I went to Spain and I lived with this Spanish family and she was cooking up a storm every day and I ate fresh paella and all this different stuff I had never experienced. And it just, just blew my mind. It was just a totally different world to what I knew. And I just think anything that challenges you and takes you out of that zone, you're always gonna grow. There's always gonna be a period where it feels uncomfortable. There's always gonna be a time when you're kind of like, I miss home and what makes me feel that everything is easy, but easy is never what gonna be what brings out the best in you. It's never gonna be what takes you to that next level. And, and I think that's what moving abroad did for me was take me to that next level. The same in broadcasting. I think that I never expected languages to be something that benefited me in what I did. Cause I thought, well, I meant to start out in languages and do translating. And somehow I've ended up now on television talking about sports. Those two worlds are never gonna meet. That's just something I liked and now this is something I do. Um, and then I think it was probably when I got the, um, the call to do the Ballon d'Or and I realized that they had taken me on because they wanted somebody, they didn't want to use a foreign voice on a microphone somewhere translating. They thought this will look so much more coherent and be so much more personal if the person talking to Lionel Messi can say the question in English for the audience to understand, speak to him in Spanish hear his answer, translate it, give it to the audience and then go back to him. It just makes for a much better, much more fluid conversation. And that's then happened to me multiple times with the Ballon d'Or, with the World Sports Awards, with different things, because sports are so international. All these sports that we love are incredibly international. So if you have the ability to blend that, I think that's been what has made me as a sports broadcaster, which sounds weird, right? Because you think, well, what does it matter? How does that make you a better broadcaster? But it does because anything that you have that somebody else doesn't have, that's your gifting. That's what makes you special and what makes you stand out. And I think it's always important to find out what do I have that can make me different to everybody else. So if you can think of an anecdote on, on any of the Ballon d'Ors related to languages, because um, uh, listen to you, I remember in the European Championships 2008 when Cristiano Ronaldo was determined to leave Manchester United and he wanted to say, somewhere where he knew he was going to be understood or properly quoted or whatever. So I always in the mix zones stay at the end. Uh, and if anybody wants to stop, I will be on my own as well. So Cristiano goes very quickly through the mix zone. They had just lost to, to Germany, I think. But before his holidays, he wanted to leave out there the message, I want to leave. So passes by the uh, British media and then he sees me and he says in perfect Spanish, Spanish, Portuguese, very, very similar says, um, switch the uh, microphone on. <laughs> so, right, okay. 
So I, I put it on and he just goes on and I, on, on whatever he wanted to say, you know, had he known, it is Manchester United, I love it, but Real Madrid is a dream for everyone. And then he goes. Um, I guess, not obviously, we knew each other, but certainly the fact that he could, in his own language, say what he wanted to say, instead of having to say it in, in English, uh, certainly helping the side on that one. Uh, anything that happened to you in the Ballon d'Or that the uh, language helped? Oh, I mean, we had so many different people on stage that um, I, I think I spoke in German, in French and in Spanish on that stage and kind of multitasked through the three of them, um, which... Well, somebody was talking in your ear? Uh, I mean, yes, you have the producer giving you the directions and stage and go here and do this and do that. So it's, it's a lot to process at times, right? <laughs> but um, I think it just, that was probably one of those moments where... Um, people had a different level of respect for me. Because I think when you can do something like that, people, when you can do something that maybe other people can't do, they have a level of respect for that. One of the things I will always remember about that um, event was that Cristiano Ronaldo, we had like a kind of a run through. Um, and so they gave the run through in English and um, it was Ronaldo and, and Messi and Neymar. And obviously Ronaldo understands everything that's been said in English. Lionel doesn't understand everything, neither does Neymar. And Ronaldo kind of took on that role, which I would have happily have done, but he's so comfortable switching between those languages of making sure that everybody knew what they had to do and what their role was. And guys, this is where we're going to walk and this is what we're going to do. And I, I guess I saw a different side to him in that moment because I thought, oh, this is nice of him. This is a nice thing to do. Um, but it's just interesting that actually if you have languages, it puts you in a position of strength because you can understand what's going on. You can communication is so important. And if you can communicate is one thing I found in, in interviews. Um, so working in boxing, for example, there's always a lot of Spanish speaking fighters and with media, because of the nature of media people, whether that's fighters, footballers, whoever it is, sportsmen in general can often be cautious of a journalist, right? Because they feel like the journalist wants to get them, wants to somehow get a big storyline and a headline and make their own name off something that they said. And I think that if you can approach somebody, even if you're going to do the interview in English, just because that's what works for the network that you're broadcasting for, if you can speak to them and put them at ease in their own language and show that you relate and show that you're that you care in that kind of a way, I think you will always get a better connection. I think, you know, languages is about connection and communication and the whole world works off of those two things so that there's such a position of strength that you can put yourself in if you'll take the time and make the effort to be able to communicate to people in their own way. This is the end of our conversation with Kate Abdo. If you liked it, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from so you won't miss another episode where I'll be speaking to and about some of the most influential figures in football. Also, remember, follow us on Twitter where we put teasers and fragments of the podcast for you to check. That's uh, at Pod. My name is Guillaume Balaguer and this was the Pew Football Podcast.